So this morning, I want to deal with a subject, and I, and I really mean this with all my heart. This is not um, a series. This is not anything. And people ask me, what's the next series? And I, I love to teach, and I love doing all of those things, and, and, and we'll get back to that in a week or so. But this morning, I really believe that there are some people that are going to be here in this service, next service, that there is a, a moment that God is longing to have in your life. There's a moment that God is longing to have to propel you forward. And what I'm going to talk about today is, is, is very important for some of you. And hopefully, with all my heart, I'm hoping that you will act upon it. Because this is God specifically telling me this week and waking me up even early this morning and saying, this is where we're going. And this is what I want to say. And so as you turn in your Bibles to John 16, at verse 33, what I want to deal with is the understanding of momentum in your life. Having momentum in your life. There is nothing more powerful, nothing that it will transform your life greater than the concept and the creation of momentum. In the spiritual life, it is imperative. That's why the Bible tells us that when people get saved, we're not just to pray the prayer, baptize. We are to immediately, in order, we are to preach, there to get saved, to get baptized, and be discipled. And, and this is the process because there is a mindset of momentum. There is a mindset that God has created and understands within us that if we don't operate that way, if we're going to constantly stop, if we're going to constantly quit, if we're going to constantly slow down from time to time, then what's going to happen in our life is you're going to lose momentum. If you love sports, like I love sport, love watching sports, it is easy to see. It doesn't matter if a team, a baseball team, is is being beat for eight innings out of nine. And it gets to that ninth inning, and you're thinking, this game is over, and there's no way they're going to win, and then somebody gets a hit. And it's like, okay, there's a chance. And then the second person gets a hit. And it's like, we can do this. And before you know it, the momentum of the whole game, which seemed for eight innings to have no hope, has changed. Now that football season has started, you see it all the time. Momentum can shift. It can go from one, one play. You can be winning and all of a sudden somebody fumble or something happen or something take place or, or somebody, and all of a sudden the momentum shifts. And people think, well, that's just how, no, no, people who live in that arena, people who live in the aura of doing, progressing, moving forward, realize that momentum is a real substance. Momentum is a real substance. It's not just, well, you got luck. No, no, it's momentum. And to have momentum and to create momentum and to sustain momentum is huge in a Christian life. In fact, some of the stories that we hear in the Bible are built from the context of momentum. David, it's not an accident that David kills a lion and a bear before he has to face Goliath. It's not an accident that God would allow that lion to come or the bear to come before David would go into a scenario and say, oh, I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear and I know I can have, why? Because he has the process in his life of momentum taking place. He's pulling from what I just did. He's pulling from what just happened. He's pulling from what God just did in my life. And so many Christians make the mistake that they're like, well, finally, I finally got out of this problem. I find, man, we can sit down and do nothing again. And it is the worst decision you will ever make as a Christian to get out of a situation, to come through a problem, and then say to yourself, well, we're, we're out of that. We don't have to do anything anymore. I used to struggle with athletes that, that 
they, during the season, they wanted to work out. And during the season, they wanted to weight lift. And during the season, they wanted to, man, they were all after it. But after the season, it's like, I don't want to do any of it anymore. I don't want to throw. I don't want to run. I don't want to do any of it. Until the season came back around. And it was always the same. They haven't improved significantly. They haven't grown significantly. They haven't become much better significantly. And what happens is, once I start going through it again, what, what do people do? Complain. Just like they complained at the last problem or the last season. So when I see people going through problems and complaining, immediately I think to myself, you weren't working out from the last problem you went through. Therefore, when I go through the next one, all I'm going to do is the same, oh, here we go again. Let's just get through it. And some of you in your spiritual life have lived your spiritual life from one tragedy to the next tragedy to the next problem to the next problem. You can mark your life by the problems you had to get through, not conquer. And until you change that mindset, it will be the same and the enemy will always win, not in your soul, not in salvation, not in your going, but in your life he will win because he realizes you will never have momentum to take him. Think of it this way. If, if, I, if I was wanting to, to tackle someone, if I was wanting to tackle someone, okay, and, and they're standing here, let's use this podium. If I was wanting to tackle this podium, and, and so this podium's sitting here. If I'm standing right here and I like, I tackle it, that's one thing. And I'd probably knock it over and I'd fall over with it. But if I get back here and I run at full speed and I hit that thing, it's going to end up on Linda. I'm not. Because momentum creates that. Momentum, just, just me deciding that I'm not just going to wait. Oh, another problem. But I'm going to use what I went through last as a way to, to prepare me for what I'm fixing to go into next. And I'm in gaining in speed. I'm gaining strength. I'm gaining the thing that God says, Tim, use momentum. In, in our years ago, and, and people asked about where we came from, and, and the hardest thing that we ever did in those first five years, six years, whatever it was to get here and get was to get momentum. To get momentum, to get, to get it just going. Man, it was like, come on. Come. It was like, come on. But when we finally got momentum, the one goal I've had for 20 plus years now is to say, don't let it stop. Don't let it stop because I know how hard it is. In fact, there was a, there was a church the, the other day me and Elise was talking about and, and, I, and I just jokingly looked over at her and I said, I said, me and you ought to go there. I said, we ought to just, just go there. I said, we'll just go to that church. I said, I said, we'll, we'll straighten some stuff out. And she just looked at me and said, you go by yourself. <laughs> Mama has no desire to go start from standing still again and try to recreate momentum. If you've ever done it, you realize, if you've ever started a business, if you've ever taken some job that, I mean, it was all out of whack, and you had to get it straight, no matter what it was, it's like you realize you had to work 10 times as hard at those years or those moments just to get to where it's like, finally, we finally get it. And, and we as Christians, for some reason, we think that when we get through a problem, well, let's just stop again. Ain't no reason, you know, we were reading our Bible when our marriage was going wrong. And, man, we were doing Bible studies together. But, you know, we ain't been doing so bad. We, we've been doing good again. So I don't have to pray with you no more, read Bible with you no more. Let's just go back to the way it was. And we do that in our lives. Now, here's what John 16 and 33, I've got to go. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. In this world, it is a consistent thing that you will keep running in to tribulation. 
but be of good cheer. I have already, I've already run through everything, every problem, every situation that you're ever going to have to deal with. Now, let me say this and, and, and explain how momentum works. Momentum works because it is the lack of disappointment. You need to write this down. Momentum works because it is the lack of disappointment. Disappointment will always be what stops you, creates the the stop in your life. It's something that you truly trusted in that lets you down. Something that you truly trusted in that didn't happen the way you thought. Let's go back to our problems. So a person has a problem. Why do they complain? Why do they complain from the moment they run back into their problem to the time they get out of it again? Because they really were hoping they would never have another major But if I looked at you this morning and told you, look at the person beside you and tell them, you're going to have cancer in a few years. Go ahead and look at them and and, and tell them, you know, we're going to have some health problems that's coming. So you don't want to do that. You don't even, I don't even want to do that, bro. That's speaking negative over my life. Let me just explain something to you. There's a 100% chance you're going to die. And it's the same chance for the person sitting beside you. You got a 100% chance. I, I know you don't like talking about it, thinking about it, you know, sick. But the problem is we have our mind geared to where I don't want to think about the problem. But Jesus said, listen to me, get this in your mind. As long as you are living in this world, you will keep running into problems, trouble. It will keep finding you. It will. So do you want to hit it just Standing there with no more, or do you want to have the mindset, it's coming, but I guarantee you what's in me is stronger than what's coming against me. And if I build up my momentum, then I just keep running through stuff that don't even, I don't even, the small stuff don't even seem to hinder me. It's like, bro, lot, man, I, I, you get through that. I don't even feel that one. That one wasn't big enough to feel. Every now and then I run into a big boy and then I had to slows me down. It knocks me a little bit. But, but them little ones don't even phase me a bit anymore. Why? Because I have built such momentum in my life to where I'm not even thinking about the next problem, the next situation. Disappointment is what the enemy uses to cause you to say, stop. They hurt you. That church didn't treat you right. Something you really trusted in, that God wouldn't allow this to happen. Why would God allow me to get sick? Why would God allow this in my life? Why would God? And the same God told you, you're going to have trouble. But he says, be of good cheer. I have already run through everything the world has, and I mowed it all down. Just get in my strength and my path. And like I was victorious over the world, you will be victorious over the world. And if you don't see it that way, then everything that happens, every tragedy, I'm going to tell you the most, duh, and I have, have irks. The most discouraging thing I have in, in my life is I'm a Christian. I preach heaven. I talk about heaven. I sing about heaven. And, and it is sometimes the most depressing thing to watch a Christian die and us write an obituary about the Christian. Y'all be praying for the family. I know they're going through an enormously troubled... Well, that family should have realized Uncle Leroy was going to die. And that family should have made sure Uncle Leroy was saved and ready to go. And everybody in that family needs to realize I'm going to see Uncle Leroy again one day and next time he ain't going to be coughing and he ain't going to be sick... And somebody needs to finally write an obituary and say, would y'all help me celebrate the passing of my Uncle Henry because my uncle passed away from this old troublesome world and he happened to wake up yesterday in a better place. Would somebody today, while you're walking through, don't pray for me, don't hold me up because I'm miserable, don't don't look at me and think, poor old Tim, would you just clap your hands sometime today and say, I'm telling you what, he got to where I want to be. Would there any Christian 
Christian ever finally rise up and say, I was made to run through that wall. I was made to run through that. Like the apostle Paul, he said, don't write no sad obituary. He said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He said, do you understand that I have run my race? I have finished my course and there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He didn't write no obituary that said, hey, hold me up in prayer. It's really hard going through. No, he said, I was made to run through these walls. I'm glad I got that off my chest. I feel much better. All right. So go with me to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose. Say it out loud. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is I just wanted to make sure you realize what I just told you was biblical. Pastor Lott, he just don't care. No, no, I care. I just care about the big things. In fact, listen to what he says. Even though the outward man is, yet the inward man is being renewed. Let's get after it. And inside man says, it's another day. Somebody's got to get knocked over today. Devil, what you got in front of me today? It's okay. I'll knock it over. Listen to what he says, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight. The little thing I have to run through. Bro, I, 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 was, I, I was abused. The little thing I have to run through. You don't know where I, the little thing I had to, you quit making the thing bigger than your momentum. Then you're going to have to tear and write through and scratch out the scripture where it says greater is he that's in you. You're just going to have to say, no, no, really greater is the world because I ran into it and it knocked me down. No, if you get enough momentum, sweetheart, no matter what you've been through, what came at you, What attacked you will never be bigger than the momentum that's carrying you forward. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, what I'm running over is a temporary problem. What I'm running over is a temporary situation. It can't stay. It won't remain. Even if you say, Brother Lot, you're dying. I won't die forever. I will finally finish it. My mom, who who struggled with anxiety for years, the enemy held her in anxiety and and claustrophobia and things like that. And and the doctor that she went to finally looked at her and said something. I don't even think he realized how, how God had got a hold of him. But he looked at my mom and he said, Jane, He said, I'm going to tell you this one time, and I want you to listen. He said, you're not going to die but one time. And your mind keeps telling you you're going to die a thousand. But you're not going to die but one time. So get it in your mind. And it changed her life. She started hanging. I can't die but one time. In other words... These light afflictions, I'm going to have to go through it, but I'm not scared because I ain't got to go through it but one time. I don't have to face it but one time. I ain't got to cross it but one time. And when I cross it, I'm going to cross it good. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are what? Are eternal. Let me give you this. Number one, the only real, only reason... The only reason things last in your life is that you won't allow it to end. The only reason things last in your life is because you won't allow it to end. The problems we have in our society, the problems we have in our world is because people will not allow it to end. I'm sorry. Well, it ain't enough. I hate it happen. I didn't mean to hit your car. Yeah. 
the areas in which you won't allow your life to move forward. The areas in your life where you decide, because rain clouds, think of them as storm clouds. Storm clouds are passing. And the only way it keeps raining on you is if you keep standing and walking under the... And if you meet these people, it doesn't matter which it is, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you ain't going to have to talk to them very long. And you sure don't want to ask them how you doing. Well, you know, it's been a pretty good day. It has. I won the lottery. I'm a, I won $50 million. But you know, Brother Lot, it, it still don't take away all that hurt. And I'm thinking, that's because you keep walking around looking for the hurt. You keep looking for the hurt. You keep reminding yourself of the pain. You keep keeping memories of it. You keep holding on to it. Every movie you watch reminds you of it. Every song reminds you of it. Everything you do takes you back there. And you keep following that cloud. The only reason it lasts is because you won't stop living there. Let me explain it this way. Moments in your life. You take something that is a moment. It's the shorter version of the word momentum. So what you're doing in your life is you're choosing the moments that creates the momentum for your future. You're picking and choosing the moments, memories that you're holding to. And at any time when something happens, immediately your mind goes back to those moments. Well, you know how I am. You know what I did when I was in the third grade. And I did it again in the eighth. And you remember high school, how messed up I was in high school. You know, you remember how all them days was. Here, let me show you a picture. I keep it on my phone. That's why I tell people, never get tattoos. Now, don't get me wrong. If you want to put mama loves me on your arm, I don't care. But let me tell you what tattoos are. Tattoos are not body art. Tattoos are moments frozen in time. The only difference now, we used to paint them on canvases and we would hang them up. And the Mona Lisa, you can still remember her after all these years because she's stuck on a wall somewhere. But if you decide to take a moment in your life, somebody died, and you decided to put their name, and when they died, on your arm, let me tell you something, dipstick. Every time, every time you look in a mirror, you know, I miss oh so and so. And you're going to keep, because what you have done is you have memorialized, you have memorialized a moment. And so every time you look at it, every time it reminds you when, it reminds you where. And the enemy wants to not only put it in your mind, he wants to put it on your arms, your legs. He wants to put it in front of your eyes. He wants to put it in the music you listen to. He wants you to be stuck so that you never gain real momentum. And he says, you may survive the battles, but I'm going to beat you to death. Because you'll never have enough speed. You'll just be climbing over, barely getting past, barely getting through. Instead of just knocking those things out of the way, you're still struggling with the same things that you should by now not even have problems with. If I put it in a biblical terms, Paul would put it this way. By this time, you ought to be eating cow. By this time, you ought to be eating real meat. By this time, if you want to put it in my term, you ought to be knocking the pooey out of whatever it is that's in front of you. But right now, you still have to have milk. Right now, you still have to have milk. Hey, would you help me get over this thing? I, I can't. I, I'm sorry. I thought I could. It's fence. Every time I come into one of these fences, I just can't get over. You still have to have help. You ought to be teaching someone right now how to knock something out of the way. Instead of being still stuck, you got your kids praying for you. Think about it. Your kids are praying that you show up to church. Because they got more momentum, more momentum now than you got now. And you've been running this race 
40 years longer than them. Moments either accelerate your life or moments will slow it to a crawl. Number two. Is this all right? I'm having fun. Number two, disappointment then. Disappointment only comes to stop divine appointments. So so disappointments only come, only are allowed to stop divine appointments in your life. So God who says, I've got a plan, I've got a purpose, I've got everything. So, So remember what he says, what's seen is temporary. That's the temporal. That's the normal. That's the world we live in. He said, don't fret those things. Those light afflictions, don't get caught up in those things. Don't get caught up in what you're going through. Don't get caught up in what you've had to deal with. Don't allow your life to stop. For the light afflictions that are for the moment are waking for us a more eternal weight of glory. It's building us up. It's strengthening us up. Why? To to just go through another problem? No, because all of these problems that are lined up in front of me that keep standing in my way are trying to keep me from getting to the appointment that God has set for my life. Well, you call it a destiny. God's got destiny for me. Well, that's great. Call it, call it, I call it a divine appointment. There's a place I'm supposed to be. There's a, a place I'm supposed to meet God. There's a place I'm supposed to be standing when God says it's time to move. And if I'm at that place, at that time, at that moment, let me tell you what's going to happen. Well, I'll tell you the miracle that everybody's been wanting to see is going to happen. What's going to happen is the breakthrough that everybody wants to see. What if we had decided years ago that that building was all we'll ever need? I mean, there's plenty of great churches that said that building is all we need. We don't need a gym. We don't, we don't need that. We, I mean, we'll never grow to have that. Let's just live in our building and we're good and we'll just do a little bit. And then if we bought that and built that, we said, man, we've got it made now. Now we got a church. We got, man, we got more things, room we knew what to do with. And somebody come along and said, hey, I'm going to sell this land next door. Oh, we don't need no more land, man. We, I mean, we'll never be able to fill up what we got. There's no way we'll ever need it. Just, just We're just going to pass. But no, we bought the land. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and says, hey, we, we really need to, to build another sanctuary. Our other buildings are packing out. We're doing two services on Sunday and packing that little room out. And, and we need to do another build. Oh, man. We just, well, let's, I mean, but let's just do three or let's just, I mean, just whoever's, there's plenty of churches. Let them find somewhere else to go. No, no, no. Let's build another building. Let, let's decide that we're going to do that. And we build that. And all of a sudden now, God sends even more resources and more people and more things and more opportunity. And we build a God's way downtown. And you think, man, we've gone far enough. Let's quit now. But then God comes along and says, let me tell you something. You've got a divine appointment because now you're just the right size with that building and this building and that building. And all you got to build a camp where a thousand kids can come every week. I'm telling you what, God has divine appointments for your life, but you've got to make it through the truck. You don't think there were some things to knock out of the way? You don't think there were some things that stood in front and said, you can't get through me? And I said, oh, bad boy, you have no idea how great the one is in me because greater is he than me than anything that's in this world. Pile them up, stack them up, line them up because I'm going to make it to my divine appointment. Oh, somebody in here just should go excited. So, so disappointment, when somebody said, I've been disappointed, what's seen then, if you lean to that side and not what's unseen, you live on the side of disappointment. This means that you have canceled it. Anytime you see the word dis in front of something, it means it has been canceled out. It means without an appointment. So when God says, Tim, we got an appointment, well, God, I'm I'm disappointed. Tim, we got an appointment. Well, God, I've been disappointed lately. I won't be showing up for our appointment. I'm going to stay here in what I can see and be disappointed 
instead of pursuing what I can see and reach my appointment. So number three, disappointment comes then because there is a divine appointment set for you. Every problem you ever go through, every trouble is measured by God, set by God, designed by God, weighed by God. God said, I'll never put more on you than you could bear. Let me put it to you now. Tim, I'll never put more in front of you that you can't knock over. You're just changing the word. Same concept. I'll never put anything in whatever you're looking at in your flesh, Tim, that you're thinking, I can't beat that. Don't ever, don't ever think there'll ever be anything I allow to stand in front of you that what's in you will not be great enough that if you, with all the momentum I give you, won't be able to take it on. That's why David killed a giant. Because the momentum of the bear and the momentum of the lion made him stand in front of Saul and say, Saul, your servant killed a lion and he killed a bear and this uncircumcised Philistine won't be nothing new to me. Now, if I was like y'all standing here for 40 days looking at it, Saul, I'd be like y'all. I wouldn't want to go out there either. But see, I've been, I've been, I hadn't been around y'all. I've been over here doing some other stuff. And I, when I came to town, when I came up here with some crackers and cheese for my brothers and stuff, I came with a full head of steam. And I said, y'all just need to get out of my way. We'll take care of it. Listen, what he's saying is this. That they're not and God's not trying to hurt you. They're not the people who did things to you and God's not trying to hurt you. I may get upset about a lot of things, but I never, I never get upset with people. I get upset with things people do. I get upset with sometimes the direction things go and what may happen. But don't ever get upset with that. Let me give it to you in a scenario. All right. Um, some, some may like over these last eight years certain presidents, not like certain presidents. Okay, but here's the, here's the litmus test. Did you pray every day for every one of those presidents to be successful? Did you get on your knees this morning and call them out by name and say, Lord, I want you to bless them and I want you to make them the greatest they've ever, that we've ever had? Or did you lose momentum because of what you see? And, real, and take your eyes off the fact that the greatest weapon you have is prayer. We just studied that. You quit praying and lost all momentum because you couldn't pray for them. Do you understand how it works? So they're not, God's not hurting you. Situations, troubles are going to come. But listen to me. It's that the momentary thing is not as valuable. The reason God allows it in your life, the reason God has allowed all the stuff in my life, the, the knee problems, the, the stuff that I've had to go through, the struggles, the, the, the sometime depression in my past, the thing, and I'm thinking, God, why don't you just make it? He says, Tim, 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 listen to me. It's that the momentary thing is not as valuable as the destiny or the appointment that I have prepared for you. And when you get a glimpse of that, it changes your life. I'm going to show you a scripture that a lot of times people don't pull out. But go with me to Job 42 and 2. Job 42, we pull all these Job scriptures out, but I'm going to pull one out for you. And I want you to listen to this scripture very carefully. This is what holds Job together. Listen to what Job said. I know. And I'm sitting here with my kids dead. My wife's done turned her back on me. I think she's having an affair. I don't know. She, 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 she's done gone AWOL on me. I'm sitting here. My kids are dead. My wife's done gone AWOL. 
My three friends that have been my buddies, they think they're trying to find something I did because they know I did something that caused all this problem, and they keep trying to find it. And I'm sitting here in the middle of all of this, and here's what I can tell you. I know that, God, you can do what? Everything. Anything. I know that you can do anything. And that no purpose of yours, no purpose that you have planned, nothing that you have ordained can be withheld from you. One translation, that's a bad translation, but one translation puts it at no thing or no one can stop your purpose. What is he saying? Job said, you know why I keep going? It's because I have a divine appointment. And I'm not going to let any of these things. That's what Satan was the test, right? Satan said, I'm going to put them big boys in front of Job, and I promise you, Job will quit. And what did Job do? If you'll let me make him sick, just don't kill him. He'll quit you. If his wife turns against him, if his friends turn on him, if I take all his stuff, Job said, here's the one thing I know. I know that you can do everything. There ain't nothing too hard for you. And I know that you have a purpose. And I know whatever that purpose is, there ain't nobody or no thing can stop it. So I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep pursuing it. And it was that understanding that pulled Job out of his situation. And by the end of Job's life, what was God's purpose? To give him twice as much. How do you know? Because that's where he ended up. What was God's purpose? To double him. Because that was where he ended up. He didn't quit. He didn't stop. And at the end of it, God said, now I can give you what I planned to give you, but I couldn't give you because you hadn't made it through these trials. But Satan just happened to come along and mess up and ask me to let you go through it. And I knew, well, that solves my problem because I can't give Job twice as much until he goes through the trouble. But if you want to bring the trouble, I'll let you do it. Just don't kill him because I got plans for him. You can't kill him because I got plans for him. And you don't know the plans I have, but you go ahead and make him sick. You go ahead and kill his kid. You go ahead and bring. But at the end of it, I'm going to fulfill what I had designed because there ain't nobody or no thing can stop what God had purposed to do. And he had enough faith that Job wouldn't quit. Let me share something with you about this. God, if you don't know anything else about God, learn this. God is predictable. God is predictable. He's going to do what he says he's going to do, and he's going to be what he says he's going to be. And he's going to go where he says he's going to go, and he's going to accomplish what he says. God is so predictable. If he says it, it's, it's going to happen. He's predictable. And, and he's and he's. That is his greatest strength. That is he cannot change. God cannot change. There is no change in him. There is no movement in him. He is the most solid thing, solid thing that you will ever run into or have to deal with. So go to Psalms 136 and 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is. That's what the psalmist understood. There's no movement in God. So when God came to us this morning, guess what God is? He's good. Guess what God will be this afternoon? Good. You think he'll be less good this afternoon than he is this morning? No, he's going to be just as good today as he is tomorrow. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is predictable. And the psalmist said, let me tell you what I've learned about God. God is good. And he don't change. And God ain't moving. And not only since him know that, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercies endure, not just a little bit today or a little bit tomorrow. His mercies endure forever because he cannot change. Let me show it to you one more place. Go to Romans 8, 24. Let me give it to you in New Testament form. The Apostle Paul writing it. For we were saved in this hope. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Same thing I'm reading to you through the other scriptures a few minutes ago. Understanding that things that are seen are not the important things. It's the things that cannot. So what's the most important thing in my life? The same thing that saved me. What saved me was what I couldn't see, but what I believed in. What I believed in was much stronger than what I could see. What I could see was my sin. What I could see was what I'd done. What I could see was all my problems. What I could see was, but God says, I can in one moment, I will forgive you of all of that. Really? If you ask me in one moment, I will forgive you. I will forget it. I will never bring it up again. As far as the east is from west, I will throw it in the sea of forgetfulness. It will never be remembered against you again. Really? He said, that's how we got saved, by what we couldn't see more than what we could see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I'm waiting for my appointment. Next verse. Likewise, so just like that, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be... Uh, and I wish I had an hour right there. Because that Scripture has been mistranslated so many times. We think, of, well, you know, when I don't even know what to pray for, the Spirit... No, no, what He's saying is, you have a divine appointment that you know in your spirit because you're hoping for it. And he says you don't even know how to pray to get through what you're going through, how to get to that destiny. So God says, I use the Spirit to help you pray to get you through things you can't even understand that you're going through. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. When we don't feel strong enough, when we're like fixing to go through something, it's like I don't, and the Spirit says, I'm going to help you get through it. I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to help you get over it. Next verse, now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Notice, according to the will of God. But here's the verse I want us to get to. And we know, and we know, and we know that all things work together for what? That all the things that we're going through, everything we, all our tribulation, all our trouble, are all working for our. Real lot. This can't be for good. Oh, it's for good. The enemy put it in front of you for evil, but God says, I want you to run over it so it'll show you how strong you are. I got a divine appointment for you, and I need you to get the momentum up. I need you to get strong enough. You can't keep hitting these problems cold turkey. You can't keep hitting these problems when you don't read your Bible for six months and then you go through another problem. I can't have you just simply never praying anymore and then all of a sudden you get another problem. And then it's all of a sudden you want to get in church for the next two months until your problem goes away and then we disappear for another five years. He said that junk is not going to play in this last time. In these last days, the problems are going to come faster and quicker and more rapidly to where it's going to frustrate you. And let me give you the word that you're going to live in, disappointment. You're going to be disappointed in your church. You're going to be disappointed in your preacher. You're going to be disappointed in everybody around. You're going to be disappointed in everything. And you're going to miss your divine appointment. Work to good to those who love, and to those who are called according to his, his destiny. Okay. Let me wrap it up. Go to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 3 and 1. There's a story that I, I don't have a lot of time to cover. i got just a couple minutes. But it shares with you real quickly what's taking place and what, how this works. Verse 1 says this. Now, there was a long war. Look at the person beside you and say, it was a long war. In fact, it was seven years. It was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David had, had for, been anointed, and he is in Hebron. He was told by God, go to Hebron, stay in Hebron. And that, that had happened. Still what was left of Saul's family, one of his sons, was wanting the throne. And he was hanging on. And he had his army, and David had his army. And these skirmishes went on for five more years. So for seven years, they've been in this constant battle, bickering, 
little skirmishes, no major wars, but just one group would run into another group and they would fight. And, and when the chapter before, you see that when Abner and, and Joab bring them down to a creek. And I, I'm thinking, this is such craziness, man. And the Bible says that they each picked 12 men from both groups and they go down to the brook. And, and the Bible says they got a sword in one hand and they grab the hair of the other one and the other, both of them. Imagine somebody grabbing your hair and you grab and you start just stabbing each other. And the Bible says that all 24 died right there in the creek. They're brothers. They're part of Israel together. But they've got this, this tear in them from Saul's old line and David's new kingdom that's trying to be established. But David grew, listen to this, David grew stronger and stronger. While the house of Saul, David, Saul, one is losing Godly momentum. And the other is increasing in godly momentum. And God is bringing it to a head. Ishbosheth is Saul's son. He's, he's, he's the pseudo king. And Abner is his captain over his army, and they've had these skirmishes. And Abner finally goes and sits with him one day and he knows we're getting weaker and David's getting stronger and this thing is not going good. And, and Ashibosheth does something really dumb. He looks at Abner and he says, you've been sleeping with some of my dad's concubine? And that was the last straw. Abner looked over at him and said, what? I have been your your father's greatest ally. I have fought. I have kept it all together. And you come claiming this junk on me? He said, I tell you what, just see if before the sun goes down, if David ain't the king over the whole thing. I've had all I'm going to take from you. And he does. He goes to David. He tells David, and, and, and I love how he says this. Go to verse 17 through 21. I'm going to read this to you. Because this is a divine appointment. David is meant to be the king, but he can't be the king until, until this is settled. And listen to what Abner's, by divine appointment, he's settling it. Here's what he says. Now, Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel saying, in time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then, do it. Do it. By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people or save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hands of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke to the hearing of, the, of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak to the hearing of David in Hebron and all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron and David made a feast for Abner and the men who, and the men who met with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my Lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. I would love to tell you that that's where I'm talking about. We got momentum. Man, Abner's fixing to go back and he's the most powerful guy that's on the other side and he's fixing to tell them, guys, we're done. I'm fixing to go be with David and I'm asking everybody to come with me and we're going to combine this thing and it's going to be a beautiful marriage and we're fixing to move forward and we're going to start defeating our enemies, the Philistines, and we're fixing to start winning battles. But the story doesn't end there. See, in chapter 2, remember I told you where they killed 24 people, they... Well, that started a real skirmish. So much so that by the end of it, 300 and something of Abner's men are killed. And Abner himself is running with a few of his men for his life. Joab, who's the captain of the other side, has two brothers. 
Abishai is one of his brothers, and Azael is his other. Azael is gifted runner. He's a warrior. He's one of the three captains. But his strength is he is a gifted runner. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear. It says he could run like a gazelle. You wouldn't outrunning him. So Abner running for his life is a little pudgier than he used to be. He's a little older. But he's a very skillful warrior. And he's running, and all of a sudden, he, he catches somebody behind him. And he's talking while he's running. Azale, is that you? Yep. Turn around, boy. Go find a young man. Go find somebody else and get you, get you glory today. Kill them, take their armor, and say, look what I did. But, but don't come up on me, son. Nope. He ran a little further. Zale, is that you? Yep, and I'm just about to get you. Turn around, boy. You don't want none of this. I'm telling you, go find somebody else. Nope, you're the one I'm killing today. And as Abner's running, and he can see it and sense, he stops. He's running with his spear, flips his spear backwards, stops. And Azale, who is running right about to get him, catches it from the backside. And he kills him. See, the only problem with the story in chapter 3 is that that's Joab's brother. And Abner is fixing to bring the whole country together. A divine appointment is fixing to take place. Man, look at the party it was fixing to be, the parades that were fixing to take place. Look at, look at, I'm talking about, you can see Abner and Joab and all of them walking beside David, and they're fixing to be the strongest country in the world. Probably, I mean, just incredible. But chapter 3 ends this way. Joab sends word to Abner when he leaves from David, and he, he said, oh, David wanted to holler at you again. He had a few more things he wanted to talk to you about. And when Abner came back, Joab took him around the corner. And Abner, who's only thinking about, man, we're fixing to, man, this thing's fixing to be awesome, Joab. I'm telling you, he could hear Abner talking. Joab, we're fixing to be brothers again. This thing's fixing. And how unknowing to him, Joab takes a spear and takes a knife and sticks it in his stomach. You killed my brother, now I'm going to kill you. Because Joab could only work from what he could see and live within the disappointment of his life, he could not allow God to bring a divine appointment that would have blessed thousands upon thousands. Let me tell you what happens in this room. You can see that appointment. You, you, you know where you're supposed The enemy has told you, you you'll always be an addict, but you know, oh no, I'm going free. You know the divine appointment God has set for your life. But the enemy has one weapon that he hopes that you will pull. One that he thought Job would pull. One that he thought Jesus would pull. One that he uses on every individual. disappointment every divorce that ever takes place is because somebody got disappointed in someone else and held on to the disappointment and not the marriage every bad decision is because of somebody's well I'm going to do this because I have a right and let me tell you in this room today the worst thing you will ever do is cancel out God's divine appointment for your life by holding on to a disappointment that something or someone did to you a long time ago or last week. 
Joab, that next verse, David curses him and says, every person that begs for money, I hope they come from the line of Joab. Every person that is born with open sores, I hope they come from the line of Joab. And let God do to Joab what he sees right. Later, David, his last decree to Solomon. He says, Solomon, don't you start your kingdom until you send somebody in there and you kill Joab. You know where Joab was when they killed him? Where most of us are. He was holding on to the horns of the altar. Praying. While at the same time glad for what he did. As long as you hold disappointment, you won't make your divine appointments. Will you stand? I don't know who this is for today. I don't know, I don't know what happened or what took place in your life. I don't know what hurt. And I'm not saying it didn't hurt at the moment. I didn't say it wasn't a storm. I didn't say it wasn't a bad storm and it didn't do damage. But it was a storm. It passed. It was supposed to go by. You were supposed to hold on to the eternal and not the things that you could see. And the enemy has held you there in your disappointment. Disappointment in yourself because you became an addict. Disappointment in others because they didn't do you the way you thought they should. Disappointment has held you. And God has come by to let me know and tell you it's time that you get momentum for what's coming and it's time you reach the appointment that I called you to. If you keep sitting here and you keep wasting your time in disappointment, you will miss the appointment that I had for you. Oh, you may still make it into heaven, and, but it will never be the life that you want and know that you're supposed to have because you let disappointment take away all the momentum that God said, don't you see all the things I've brought you through? Do you know why you're standing here today? It's because I didn't let you die at that moment when you thought you would die. I didn't let that thing take you down when you thought it was going to take you down. Those days you cried from that prison cell and said, God, if you just get... I didn't let you die there. Those days you were in that bed and you thought, God, if you just heal me, I didn't let you die there. But you've let disappointment stop the momentum. And it's time you get momentum back in your life. It's time you remind yourself, I've got a destiny for my family. I've got a destiny for my marriage. I've got a destiny for my life. And God, greater is He that's in me than anything that's against me today. Teach me to run. Teach me to run. Teach me to run and not slow down when I see the obstacle in front. Teach me to run and as you said, not get weary. Teach me to run and bring me to my place. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, that sermon was for me. You don't even know all that I've been through in my life. You have no way. It's not important. But me and God do and I have been disappointed but I understand that God didn't do it to hurt me. Those things were sent there to help me get stronger and faster so that I could overcome even what I'm facing now. And what's hard now is because I stopped. And it's hard to get going again. If that's you, if this message was for you, it may just be one person that said, that's me. And I want you to step out. God has a divine appointment for you today. It's time you get to running again. It's time that God fills you with joy and the power of His Holy Spirit. It's time that you run. That you run. If that's you, right now, as they begin to just sing, I want you to step out. Say, God, it's me. But I'm ready to run. 
If I, my prayer people are here, as these people come, I want you to come and pray with them, lay hands on them, pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will I need people that can pray. I need you here. If you even think you know how to pray, just come on. Father, this morning, the people that are standing here are people that, that God, as we begin to pray with here, as we begin to hold them up, as we lay hands on them here in a second, God, they have a divine appointment in their life. And I didn't give it to them. The world didn't give it to them. You gave it to them. And no matter where they go, they can't run from this destiny. They can't, no matter how much they get or what they try to live or where they try to swap it for, they can't get rid of their destiny. And so God, this morning, before I lay my hands on them, I speak that, God, you will revive. You will restore. You will remind them of where they were called to be and how you promised that I will give you the strength to get there. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.